September is Suicide Awareness Month, and September 10th is Suicide Awareness Day, where people around the world work to raise awareness about prevention. Some of you will find this topic overwhelming and difficult to reflect on, and so I want to give you a warning that we will be talking about suicide on this episode, mostly about prevention, although we do discuss a personal loss as well. If you or a loved one is considering suicide, please call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. If you are anywhere outside of North America, please go to www.suicide.org. Link to the websites and additional resources in the episode notes, including international suicide hotlines for our listeners around the world. Coming to you from my apartment in San Francisco, where the neighborhood is covered in ash, this is the Sea Change Podcast, and I'm your host, Alan Mahoney. I'm really excited to introduce to you our guest today, Dr. Stephen Karaiskos. I know him because he was one of our talented mentors in our resilience course for educators over the summer, and he brought a thoughtfulness and insight that really enriched the whole program. We're going to be talking today about suicide awareness and prevention. The topic is both personally and professionally important to Stephen, as it is for me. Stephen is an activist in suicide intervention and prevention, and he provides suicide awareness workshops for school communities and organizations around the United States of America. He also is very much dedicated to suicide postvention, grief and loss support. He works with organizations such as Camp Kita and Coping After Suicide. We will share links for both organizations in the episode notes. Currently, Stephen is the SEL coordinator at Hawkins School in Ohio, and he's a professor at Cleveland State University teaching undergraduate courses in research design and personality psychology. He has uh, had some experience in the corporate world, in district leadership for schools, and in being a kindergarten teacher. So he comes with a breadth of experience, and I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. It's great to see you again. Yeah, thank you. Great to see you too. So um, before we get started, our, our audience is all over the world. And so everyone has a different experience of COVID right now. So right. can you just, so you are in Ohio. And can you tell us a little bit about how Ohio is doing and in particular what school is like right now? Yeah, so Ohio is actually in a place it's now where schools are opening we have it's a mixture of things so we have some schools in hybrid mode and some schools in person a few are still doing all remote and it depends on our numbers you know ohio is a it's not an enormous state but there's lots of different populations so different counties mm-hmm. have different numbers and um and i don't understand all those pieces but i i know <laughs> what the result is but my particular school is the lower school and the middle school, so it's a lower through upper school. The lower and middle are back in person, okay. and the upper is a hybrid, and that's just based on the numbers that they keep in that in that one building. So yeah, so it's it's actually been absolutely wonderful to be back. I'm out at carpool taking temperatures when the kids get out, and they're they're just so thrilled to be there. And they're you know Aww. it's mostly lower school kids, so. Um, <laughs> They're just thrilled to be there. They have their masks on, they're running in, you know, we have temperature checks and hand washing and everything else going on. The, uh, the one thing that is 
may be of interest to other people. And I, cause I found this, um, mm. the biggest shift in our building is the fact that we've, um, reduced our class sizes down to nine. So we used to have wow. 18 in a lower in each lower school classroom. So we reduced them down to nine. And in doing so, we had to spread out, of course, our classrooms into our lunchroom, into our gym, into other spaces. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a whole positive side of like nine students. How wonderful. Yeah. Um, but that's just about giving the kids space in the, in the, in the room and giving the teachers space to move around and work with those students. So it's a, it's a big shift. The school looks different. It feels a little different, but then there's still those little faces that are so excited to be there that that's bringing joy to me. So yeah, that's Aww, good. That's yeah. so sweet. I love it. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I was listening to This American Life just um, had a podcast out about schools reopening in the US and they had a little clip of a um, kindergartner. It's his first day of oh. kindergarten. And it was just so cute, you know, just the the jitters that the parents have and then just that, that goodbye. And then the kid going past the doors and the doors closing right. and, you know, oh, I just, it's such a sweet, a sweet time. It's a, right. weird, weird during COVID, but regardless, it's, it is it a is. sweet time. Well, and it's also the other thing that was, uh, big that for whatever reason, I didn't really think about it until the students started to arrive is I haven't seen some of these students in six months. Wow. That's the longest period of time I've ever been away from a school building. Right. And I, I, and so some of these, when you're working in elementary level, they've grown up. Yes. <laughs> right. I'm like, yes. Who are you? Um, yeah. They've grown up and it's, uh, and in all kinds of different ways. So it's really fun to see. Yeah. That's yeah. so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. Great. Well, I'm glad that that's happening for you. Um, yeah. So we, we're, we're shifting now. We're going to be talking <laughs> about suicide. Um, and it's, it's September. And uh, yes. so it is a suicide awareness month. So it's, it was important for me that we talk about suicide for this during this month. And we're going to do a series of several different stories and speakers. It certainly, suicide prevention and survival and response for me has been a big motivator in um, actually why I started Seed Change and, mm. and sort of things that I think about when I'm thinking about um, how important it is for young people to have relationships in their lives and to feel a sense of belonging. So it's really important. And yet, even though it's something I think about and talk about a lot, I, before we got onto this um, call, I I had to kind of ground myself and kind of prepare myself for this conversation because you never know. It's, it's a difficult top topic to talk about, um, I think even for seasoned people. So I wanted to start by just asking you, how can we talk about this? And what do we need to think about as adults when we're talking to each other and exploring uh, prevention and awareness and intervention and survival and, and all of that. Yeah, I, thank you for starting that way because I think it is really, um, it can be a challenging topic to talk about. It could hit all kinds of feelings and all kinds of emotions and everyone's perspective or experience with it as they enter the conversation. Um, is different. So as I talk about when I do work around this, you know, I don't know the, I don't know every member of the audience. So I don't, so I, I, I like to usually share that um, if it, if it hits you in, in a certain way. And what I mean by that, if you're feeling really big emotions about it, if you're feeling really sensitive about it, try to stick through the conversation and listen, because that can help too, but also reach out and talk to someone. If you really feel you need some support or some help, because that's part of this conversation is about making connections and things like that. I also think in talking about suicide, if, if you can turn the focus a little bit, shift the focus a bit away yeah. from the moment 
that that moment that is suicide and and talk more about because that's what i i tend to do is talk more about the connections more about the what we're actually looking at on the other side of this we're trying to build connection we're trying to build relationships we're talking about togetherness we're talking about all these other pieces that that is what's incredibly critical to talk about in this work so yes there is a challenging piece to it but there's some beauty to the other side of it if we can really do some proactive work around this, we can really help. I also would just share the last bit about that is I usually start with some mindfulness. So I, you know, I Mm. did some breathing before I started right here because I just want to be present. I want to be present here for this conversation. And so I don't, sometimes in the middle of talking about it, I'll say, hey, everyone, I'm having a moment. <laughs> let's yeah. take some breathe. Let's breathe all together. And I actually had it a, uh, hmm. a a suicide awareness conversation I did with some parents about a year ago. I had a parent who was in the middle of a sentence there, and the hand. I was like, I don't no questions yet, uh, but yeah. they needed a breath, and they said that to me. I I was just hoping we could all take a breath together. Wow. So I so I think you know I just share that for. I mean, just the two of us are here looking at each other, but if you feel you need to take some time or if I need to take some time, let's do that in the middle of this. Say, hey, that's, let's breathe on that just a bit, right? Just to kind of let it soak in, yeah. That's very meaningful, what you just said. There, There are two things there. I mean, one that, you know, to kind of go beyond the moment that it's, it's, it's not really about the moment um, when we're talking about our, our health around this, our healing around this, our awareness around this. But I also love just being very honest and direct about that this can be difficult and that we should take a breath if we need it and giving each other permission. And I'll just say to the people listening that if you're listening and if you feel overwhelmed uh, in any way or you just need a moment, you know, pause it, take a moment, do do, do some breathing. I think that's a, a good reminder. And thank you for you know, ahead of time, giving me permission to do that as well. And, and, and yes. um, I hope you both take your great advice. <laughs> so, so Stephen, can you tell me, you wrote this, your dissertation um, on, on this yes. subject. Can you tell me a little bit more about what your dissertation was about? Yeah, so my dissertation, the, the topic was actually very focused, of course, most dissertations are, but it was, I really looked at a specific population, it was middle-aged gay men, um, who have a high rate, of su- high rate of suicide, so I wanted to get very specific in that research, um, and I was looking at their positive psychological approaches to their ideation, and mm-hmm. so the individuals, um, most of the, in, in the research itself, these are individuals who um, had a history of um, thinking about suicide or had been, um, you know, had struggled with it over a lifetime. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to see their narrative, their story about how they developed more positive psychological practices. When I talk about that, I'm I'm talking about things like resilience and coping and positive things, you know, rather than uh, sometimes when we're um, ideating or if you're thinking about suicide or you're really upset, you may choose something that is not the the healthiest thing. So what did people choose that led them away from ideation? Hmm. Um, And so within the research, uh, the things that you would, there were a few surprises, but most of it was, you know, they proactively had built relationships and connection. So when they were struggling, they had somewhere to turn, mm-hmm. um, that they had built community. And in this specific population, of course, I was looking at middle-aged gay men. And so community might've been their their gay population um, right. in a certain city or a certain community. 
Um, and so it was really looking at all of that and understanding also part of it then, of course, was understanding the theories of suicide, looking at what they call minority stress, which is the idea that, um, or the theory around minor, minority statuses, statuses, is that the right word? <laughs> can, create, so. <laughs> um, can create a little bit more stress um, mm -hmm. And you can kind of you can kind of I think extrapolate that to to look at that. So understanding yeah. things like for the, my particular dissertation is where this was coming from, homophobia and family rejection and things like that. Yeah. So yeah. how did they get to stress, anxiety, depression, and maybe suicidal ideation? But then how did how did they respond? Um, and so then using then the idea was is to use those think about those positive psychological approaches that has has them living. Right. a long time um, and thinking then about how do we proactively put those in place for our younger populations. And mm -hmm. it's, it's research that's very generalizable. We can generalize yeah. it to a larger population. Right. right? So, right. Um, and so that's part of what I did toward the end of the research also. So that's kind of the gist of it. It makes me, one of the questions I was thinking about um, in preparation for this is not a fully formed thought in my brain, but it's around <laughs> problem solving. And, right, right. and and to me, what you're talking to me about is sort of, you know, you're talking about what, when things were rough, what did they choose to help solve that problem? Right. Exactly. At least right. for that moment. So they went to their relationships, they went to their community. And I'm wondering, so when you're thinking about young people, young mm -hmm. people in our schools, what, what do we need to know about problem solving and suicide awareness? Yeah, well, it's, I think it's a really critical question because I think one of the things that you're asking is really around, because um, the other thing that I was thinking about in, as you're saying that is the problem solving piece, but not putting it in the child's lap because they're children, young people, right. but that we also want, they want to have some ownership of this. So the problem solving needs to come from teaching and, and mentoring and things like that. But then they have to own that they're going to do the problem solving because when they're in crisis, right. um, they could be typically alone, right, right? When these feelings will arise. So what do I, how do I use that? So I, you know, I think that the, the problem solving piece is, you know, it's about helping these kids start building skills around um, self-awareness around resilience, around understanding right. their emotions, around uh, expressing their emotions, about their own motivation, about empathy, about perspective, all these pieces that really fall into like emotional intelligence and, and pieces yes. like that, but building those skills proactively so that they, they can start learning how to problem solve when they're in these moments. And it, it also, so when they can manage that stressful situation or that anxious situation, and, you know, I, and a lot of these skills really do need to be proactively taught so that they, I think that's one of the things that um, I discovered through this process of working on uh, my master's to my PhD is I actually thought I was going to do some work directly working with people, like, mm. like people who had had, um, had a suicide attempt. Okay. And, and for me, what I, what I discovered is because I had a personal loss is that mm. that led me to all this is that that was a little too close for me. Yes. So that's why I've stepped back and kind of do awareness and prevention work. But what, what you tend to find with people that are, that have been suicidal is that um, we're doing reactive work, right? right? It's not always proactive work, especially when they haven't had any support systems in place. Right. And so, um, you know, there's a great quote 
that I actually, um, there's an author named Dr. Vivek Murthy who wrote a book called Together. I think it's out right now. And I just read it and he says something like, what is the exact quote? It's, um, if you build a kid, you don't have to repair an adult. And I just, I love that quote (laughs) because it just says to me like, all this work is proactive and we want to get in there and teach problem solving skills and teach emotion regulation skills and teach these things. And it really means that we have to be explicit and direct about that teaching and getting in there. So, you know, you're talking about being proactive and for me with my mentoring background, for me, it's all about instead of just kind of crossing our fingers and hoping someone gets some organic mentor in their life, why not be a little designful about it, a little intentional about it. And um, since we know it's so powerful to have an adult, a caring adult in your corner outside of your your parenting. So, and it also makes me think about, I think it's um, Dr. Darling Hammond um, at Stanford university talks about, I think it's her, or it might be Dr. Pamela Cantor, but either way, in their work around the science of learning, they talk about how really as educators, what we're doing is we're creating developmental experiences and relationships. We're, you know, we're yes. creating the opportunity for these relationships. So if we're thinking about equipping young people with these skills and and relationships so that when they do get into a tight spot, they a tough spot, um, they, they have someone to, to go to and someone they feel safe and, um, you know, they can problem solve. Well, and that's, and that's such a critical piece too, because it's the work around like the theories of suicide or understanding suicide and trying to, um, work on prevention work and intervention work and so on like that is that the theories talk directly about belonging, right? And that's what, so for example, um, the, like one of the main theories that's out there, and there's a lot of different theories that are kind of all interconnected. They work together. But one of them by an individual named uh, Dr. Joyner, Thomas Joyner, he talks about three components that lead and lead to a suicide. And one is thwarted belongingness. And the mm-hmm. other is perceived burdensomeness. And then the yeah. last is this acquired ability to enact self-harm, which is a, a, a larger picture to kind of break down right but those two but those two thwarted belongingness so think about just i mean i just i every time i even hear those words together it's such a it's an intense thing to think about i'm trying to belong but i've been thwarted right and and then that perceived burdensome was like i think i'm a burden or i'm perceiving i'm burdened and then you think about youth kids and how these two things can grow into much bigger things because they're they have their um even their executive functioning skills about their own self-awareness and all these other pieces aren't all in place yet. So, um, and then like, there's so many other theories of suicide that talk about disconnection and rejection and self-defeat. And um, so that connection and that belonging to like community, it's like one of the most critical pieces. So again, going back to developing those skills um, and understanding that. And I think it's also then, Part of what I share when I talk to, when I like to talk to faculty and other teachers about this is it, it seems such a, that's that whole point about this is so hard to talk about. Yeah. But, but if I put in front of you that thwarted belongingness and perceived burdensomeness are two things that, that potentially in the theory of suicide and one of the theories of suicide arise, well then look around. Right. What is going on for some of your students? Um, just, just have that awareness. It's not about scaring you. It's having that awareness of what you see around you. 
Yeah, I mean, that's very helpful. It's really helpful. So you're talking about these different theories and you're talking about mm-hmm. these concepts like thwarted belonging. That seems like something that is easier to look for than a quote unquote suicidal student or young yes. person. Does that make yeah. sense? It does. And, and, and you're right. This is, you know, those are, those are the, the very research-based terminology, right? That's not right. the, this is not a, a, you know, a truly a student in front of us, right? That, that's kind of the, a very deep, deeply researched theory. So, but it, it's beginning to understand if you know that, and then let's step all the way back, right? Let's step back to, you know, are the students on my advisory? Are they all, do we feel connected? When I talk to them, I mean, it's also engaging them. It's a, and it's also not just engaging them kind of toward them, but actually listening back, right? So that right. building skills for yourself and your students around things like empathetic listening, right? So it, yeah. if you're just, if you say, gosh, you, we all look like connected, we're all connected, they all nod their heads, have you really found out if we're connected, right? Yeah. Do, we need to dig in a bit. We need to listen a bit. And and just just really get in there. So, and I think it's being observational at all points in the day, right? Yeah. So I, you know, I think about the children who might be in your class, very engaged in your classroom, but after they leave your classroom, that might be the only place they're engaged, and they don't have a social connection here or there. And it's right. it's it's watching out um, for your entire community. They're all part of our community, and right. making sure that they're connected and and helping them with that. Um, watching for those signs, those signs that that not necessarily mean that they're suicidal, but that they're struggling. Because that's yeah. the other thing about a lot of these skill building things that um, the skill building that we talk about about helping children who um, might be ideating mm-hmm. is they can also help for students who are anxious and stressed. And right. so sometimes we there's pushback to like, do we want to teach these skills? But they're but they're there's a lot of these skills about building um, self-awareness and coping skills and resilience and, and understanding and regulating your emotions and expressing your emotions. All these pieces are good for everyone. Absolutely. And if we can get way ahead of it, then perhaps we can lessen the numbers and statistics out there around the high levels of depression and stress exactly. and anxiety. So, Is there anything else that is sort of um, keeps coming back up in the research yeah. over and over again that we feel like we really have a good handle on? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. I, I, one of the first things that arose as you, were, as you were asking that question was, is that we're actually probably not talking about it enough. And again, mm-hmm. not necessarily suicide, but these proactive skills that are gonna end, that we hope will end with someone not, right? So right. Um, I think that you know, there's there's a lot of work around lessening stigma, around just just the conversation about it. Yeah. You know, building these skills. I, I again, I think building these skills is really critically important. Um, and I think it's it's deeper skills than just emotional. We talk about emotional intelligence, about coping, resilience, and self awareness, and things like that. But right. I also think we we part of why I do the work I do, and I I think you know, as, as I shared earlier, I'm at an elementary school. That's actually a choice because I feel like the skill building happens very young and, you know, um, just building these skills saying, you know, that, Hey, the term for Mark Brackett from the Yale center of most intelligence, you have permission to feel right. And so we should be teaching kids at a very young age that they have permission to feel what they're feeling. And this is, 
And all of this, when you say what's, what's out there that we're not really doing, well, we're still not doing a lot of this. We see the research that says all of this works. And if you, if you ever um, explore the Yale Center of Most Intelligence, which is a research-based organization and they're doing all this great work, there's tons of research that it all works, but you look at the schools using their work and it's not that big of a number, right? So we should be teaching students at um, you know, really young age, we teach them that, hey, it's okay to be mad. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be sad, it's just fine. But then we teach them how to regulate that feeling how to express it in a healthy way. And then students, as they grow, if we're modeling it and if we're sharing that, they might not, when they get older, they might not get mired in their anger. They might not get stuck in it or their sadness or frustration because they, they realize I can feel this right. and I can share it and right. I can talk about it. So it, I think that's all kinds of research says that this proactive work is there, but it's just a fact that it's not always the priority in our schools. And right. You know, you and I've talked about this before is that many, many, I've been in education for about 20 years and many, many times it said, oh, we're doing SEL, we're doing SEL. Um, but then there become other pressures and other focus and, right. um, and the SEL seems to be the first thing to fall by the wayside. I am at a school now where I'm kind of lucky and privileged and honored to be going, I actually go into classrooms and teach. So I'm in the classroom teaching SEL skills, and this year we're still learning what that's going to look like. So that doesn't happen in every school, though. Yeah. Um, it, the other thing we know is that research has shown that integrating SEL across curriculums. Yes. So instead of just saying, hey, I'm going to do it for one half hour during morning meeting. Yeah. Hey, you can do it during science time. We can do that. We can, um, as an, or you can do it during math, you know, and there's a tool from the Yale Center of Most Intelligence called the Mood Meter. And they actually, on the Mood Meter, they've created graph lines and so on. So you can do, you can track for weeks your feelings and graph it and talk about it. It could become a science, you know. So there's a lot of different ways example. to explore your emotions. But we tend to say, oh, it needs to be in this little pocket of the day. Right. Um, and I think, but at the same time, kids don't only feel in one little pocket of the day. They're, they have feelings all day long, but, we're, but we're, we've decided in a lot of models that, oh, this is when we teach them about their feelings, not actually when it's happening. And what are we saying, to, about, what are we saying about well-being, period, when we just compartmentalize it to a 30-minute morning meeting? I mean, exactly. what are we saying, really? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So. First of all, everything that you're talking about, I, I always go back to this, which is we're trying to equip young people with these emotional intelligence skills and SEL, and yet so many of us still have, you know, you're, myself included, have a lot no, of work too. to do, right? It's a, <laughs> yep. it's a lifelong journey. Um, exactly. We have so much work to do, and um, we are, we are, especially if we come from certain generations and certain cultures where that kind of emotional intelligence, naming your feelings, mm -hmm. expressing your feelings is, is not um, valued or important or is stigmatized then, you know, we are the product of that. We're the adult that's broken, that's gotta be fixed. Um, right. <laughs> and so, you know, how do we, I think it just makes it really difficult, uh, especially when there's a crisis, a death, um, a tragedy, um, to expect adults to be able to be present and available to young people when we don't yes. have the skills that we we're trying to impart in them. You know, I've been in several school communities that had just experienced a suicide and I, I'm not going to name the school, but I do think sure. about one school a lot. Um, and I just remember kind of 
taking a step back and watching all of the, the adults the next day expected to come back to school and go back to normal. Right. Um, and of course, as you know, everyone handled it differently um, and everyone grieves differently. And this was like right after the situation. Yes. And I just wanted to ask you about how do we do this as adults? How, how do we respond when we have to keep a, well, I should say this, when we think we have to keep a brave face for our young people mm-hmm. and yet it's painful for us too. Yeah, that's a, it's, that's a, it's a really great question. And it's a, it's a, it, I don't want to say it's a challenging question because I, I have some thoughts, but I think it's challenging to apply, but yeah. I don't think we're in practice. I don't think we're all, many of us are in practice on how to right. do it. So it's about, so I'll back up just a bit and say, again, proactive work for yourself yes. and others about how all of this stuff. Right. So that's, right. I feel like a broken record there, but you know, I just think it's, it's just, yeah it's just what it is and but i do think that again it's okay to talk about your feelings yeah right to express your feelings and it's it actually can help in a moment you know if a student says i'm really sad about yeah. this right for you to say i am sad also here's what i do when i'm sad or what can we do together for this sad moment or what, you know, so that actually um, can help you because you're not negating your feeling. Right. You're not diving into all the emotion that that child might have. You're just acknowledging their feeling. You're not negating theirs and you're not negating your own. You're acknowledging that these feelings exist. Um, there is that fine line as educators that we don't want to go all the way into the child's feeling where we're the one in tears and they're not, right? Right. Um, we, want, we want to be supportive, but yeah. acknowledging actually how, oh, we can feel sad about this moment because things like, things like a suicide that we don't talk that much about, people don't know how to feel about it. So right. we have to show them and, or show them or help them to understand that you're going to have a lot of feelings around it. Right. Um, it's okay to, to say, it's okay to be numb, Right. right. Well, my friend, is, my other friend is sad, but I'm just sitting, I'm not feeling anything today. Well, right. that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's, but, and then talk about that. Well, what are you thinking with that feeling? Because they, you know, the other thing, every feeling and emotion, there's a thought behind it. Right? right. So what are you thinking about that? You want to talk about that? You want to process that a bit? I think that those pieces are, I think that's important to do. Yeah. Um, and I also think that we should also make sure that we have the experts there, right? And I think yes. you probably had that experience. Also, people that have been ex- exposed is is kind of some of the language to it to a suicide mm-hmm. or even a suicide attempt. We want to be checking in with all those people, and we want to make sure yeah. everyone is doing okay. Um, yeah. And so sometimes that does need an expert level. Well, it should you should have an expert being checking in there. You want to make sure that everyone kind of in that um, sphere of influence for that individual is being checked on because or a lot of people, well, everyone will have a different reaction to it. Right. And sometimes you find out that someone that's not even connected to the individual who was struggling has a big emotional reaction to it. Mm. And so we want to be checking in the community and that's just because of their perspective, their experience and everything else. Right. Right. Um, and other people that you think are going to rise up might have um, some numbness to it. Yeah. And that's the, I think that's the other piece I, I always want to share is that, it is critical to get the mental health experts in there to to be really supportive and it is important to come back together as a community 
just see that connection. Yes. Because kids will be looking for that. I've had a loss. I need my connection, right? Yes. So they're going to want that. Um, but the piece that sometimes gets slighted is the long-term support. Right. Because okay. we get in there and we immediately do this support. And then, um, and then it's three weeks later, four weeks later, and it's the first soccer game without that student. And no one's thought about it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the entire team can't play. And I'm not saying we need to put them at a high level, but again, it's that awareness. Right. It's awareness of grief and loss, because that's now what we're into. We're into grief mm -hmm. and loss and understanding mm -hmm. that that first year in a school community, birthdays and holidays, and if, you know, if, if the individual was in the play and the play is still happening, you know, all these right. things could be impactful and they can be impactful to a lot of different people, including the adults. Yeah. I sometimes think, you know, at a school where I was, there was a, a loss a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. And it was an older student, but the student had been at the school for a very long time. And all of a sudden we had some teachers at the lower grade levels really feeling it. And of mm -hmm. course they would, but yeah. it wasn't something that we considered in the process. So just, just making sure we're checking in and also then um, understand all the people impacted and also understanding that it's not a, it's, it's, it's a grieving process. Yeah. And, um, and for some it's, it, well, it's going to take a while. And for some, you know, my particular personal loss that led me here is almost 11 mm -hmm. years ago. And I feel it probably every day in yeah. some way, shape or form, you know, it doesn't limit me. It doesn't hinder me. It doesn't, but it's these moments and we all have that with different types of losses. It, it, suicide just t tends to dig a little deeper. So you were saying that this personal loss brought you to this mm -hmm. really great work that you're doing, Stephen. Yeah. Um, and I'm so glad that you're doing it. And it makes me wonder, do you think that you experienced like a sort of a post-traumatic growth because you turned this mm -hmm. loss into something that is just impacting so many people positively? Wow. That exact phrase that you just used, I've never used for myself, never applied to myself. Yeah. Um, so you have me pausing a bit, but I, you know, I'll share that, you know, I was a early childhood teacher when my partner David ended his life mm. and it did, of course, as it does for any, for anyone, any, any sort of a loss, it had me leave the classroom and I wasn't sure what to do next. And mm. I initially started the process of um, working on going back to school for this master's and then a PhD in psychology, not even for professional reasons, but initially I thought I need to understand this. Mm -hmm. And that was just for me. I, the person I loved ended their life by suicide and I didn't know how to help them. And yeah. as an educator, I also felt that was a miss because how do I not, if I don't know how to help him, what if a kid in my, you know, I just, I had all these thoughts. And so I said, I have to understand, I have to understand mental illness. I have to understand suicide. I, I just wanted to understand. And yeah. so, and I'm a learner as most educators are. So right. I went back to school. Right. <laughs> and so there I was going through the process and I, the rest kind of happened as it was going, but I do know that I, I remember a very, a clear statement that was right about because it was about a year after um, David mm. had, had passed that I started school, went mm. back to school. I remember saying, I'm going back to school so that no one else ever has to die by suicide. 
And it was like, mm. boom, I'm doing this. And that's a, that's kind of a big leap, a but goal. it was this, yeah. it was a goal, right? Yeah. And my, this, that particular loss, which I'm, I know I'm not alone in this in, in talking yeah. about grief and loss, it did redefine me. Mm. I am doing this work because he died. And at the same time, I'm like, I wish he never died. Right. So it's like, of course, this, yes. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's a weird, right. It's this weird thing, but I yeah. do, I have reflected a lot on, again, going back to even my dissertation, what, what did I, what skills did I apply? Yeah. And not in a self-serving or a pat on my back way, but in like, what can I learn from this that I can help others? So what did I do there? And I think I've always been a learner. I know I've always been a learner, but I've always been a, kind of just a scruffy, just doing it, just going, I'm just yeah, going to do that. Scrappy. And I've been trying yeah. different things. I've been, mm. you know, I, I was in corporate world and I left to do a teach and I just kept, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this. And so I just said, I just got to get, I got to solve this or understand it. Right. And I got to a place in the process where I knew there wasn't, there's not a fix to kind of suicide, yeah. but there's, there's things we can do. So I right. got to that understanding. The phrase you used, I, have never applied for myself, but I do think, I do think I dug deep into some of those, some skills uh, that I didn't even know I had because I, you know, I, and anyone with a loss, well, that, that first year, yeah, I don't remember quite a bit. I was, I taught for a while because yeah. he passed away in the middle of the school year. Mm. I don't know if I was the best teacher. I'm not sure, but I found, I dug into something and it was, it, I'll really? go back to this too, back to all this really fast. It, it was community. It was connection. I, it was, mm. you know, I moved in with my sister and took care of her kids for a little while. Oh. That's connection. That's, yeah, that's right. That's community. Yes. So I dug into that. So mm. thank you for asking that question. That's a, it has me thinking probably for a couple of days now. Thank you. Oh, good. <laughs> I aim to please. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing your story too. And um, I think it's, it's inspiring and, uh, and I'm sure it was really difficult. Um, but I think it's helpful for everyone, other people to hear, especially if people have gone through a loss um, or experienced surviving suicide um, is it's, I think it's really helpful to kind of share those stories. Truly, I'm so glad that you come to your work with such compassion for little ones, but just humans in general, really appreciate it. So thank you so much for your work. Thank you. Thank you for, for the opportunity to share my story and share my voice. It's, uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, thank you. It's an honor. Thank you so much for listening today. The prevention work that Stephen talks about around relationships, emotional intelligence, and building a sense of belonging in your school is exactly the kind of work we do at Sea Change Mentoring. And the inner work that adults are required uh, in order to be there for our young people is the work that we are doing in our Circulus Institute where we work on our pers personal development for our professional growth. So if you need support, you want additional resources, please reach out to us at info at seachangementoring.com. Another reminder that if you or a loved one is considering suicide, to please seek help. You can find these resources in the episode notes. Thank you everyone and please take care of yourself.